newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers, plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk, pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it, it's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis on what's going on in the news media, and we welcome you to join us, even to share your views after you hear what we have to say. Here we are. I'm Rex Smith, the former editor of the Times Union, now on theupstateamerican.com, if you want to take a look at that. That's my plug for the day. Judy Patrick is here, former editor of the Daily Gazette, now vice president of the New York Press Association. Editor, Vice President. These are impressive titles. You know, very good. <laughs> titles. <laughs> titles. 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 Yeah. Ian Pickus is here, news director of WAMC, Northeast Public Radio. Hitting ninth. Hitting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> it's wonderful. Actually, Ian, you're the first person I want to ask. I've noticed that there are different voices on the air on WAMC these days that I haven't heard before who are not your own staff. They're not folks who directly work for you. And this arises from some sort of a collaboration you've hatched here. That's right. And it's not because I'm doing more impressions. Uh, no, we're, <laughs> we're really happy with how things are going in New York State right now. Um, I think Traditionally, there's been some competition between the public radio stations and public television stations in New York, but there's a, a new era brewing, and we've been able to sort of broaden the scope of the New York State Public Radio Consortium. Longtime listeners know Karen DeWitt, our capital correspondent, is shared among public radio stations in New York State, so if she covers Governor Hochul's press conference and you're driving across New York, you might hear that story on WAMC or WSKG, WRVO, WXXI. We are now working really hard together to build on that platform to share more reporting and stories with each other and taking that also to the web so that if we in WAMC in Albany, where we do a lot of state house stories, publish something on the legislative session, we can share it to all those other stations' websites with the click of a button. And we'll see what the future holds for this, but it's, I would say, a golden era for listeners of these stations because some of those old walls are coming down and we're able to work together, especially when someone has you know an interesting report or news to share. Uh, instead of you know, sort of keeping it and hoarding it for themselves, we're giving it to other stations in the thought that their listeners are going to be interested and fulfilled in some way by by hearing the reporting. So uh, the public radio system, you hear a lot about NPR struggles on the local level. You know, those struggles are real, but there's also a lot of collaboration happening that hasn't happened before. And it's it's happening in an organic way. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Did you ever encounter anything like this in print, Judy? At my newspaper, there was always the hope that we could collaborate with another newspaper, especially one that wasn't a direct competitor. Mm -hmm. 
but it, obstacles do get in the way because it's difficult to find someone. You're also wanting something very local when you're talking about a local newspaper. There's also different standards. Our paper, we had a standard we really did not like to use unnamed sources or uh, confidential sources, and other papers did. And so if they had different standards about that or about identifying people or how they identified an unnamed source, it became a problem. And so <laughs> that's one of the big holdups that we encountered. But the other issue is you've got to find another entity that wants to write the same kind of stories you want or to print something that your audience is going to want to listen to. At WAMC, the stories I'm hearing are general and they're interesting and they're applicable throughout the state. I think that works really well for regional stories. Mm-hmm. Regional or state stories, that kind yeah. of thing. It's di- it is difficult if your space or time is limited, as it is in all media to give over time and space to something outside your core coverage area or the topics. But it's a way to deal with the fact that we are all resource constrained these days. (laughs) You don't have enough reporters to cover everything you need to cover. Right. And you had similar collaborations when you were at the Times Union, right? But now who do you decide who's the editor of a project, for example? Right. Well, we actually hatched with not great success a collaboration with a bunch of papers. I went to a number of meetings now 15 years ago with the editor of the Newark Star-Ledger in New Jersey and the New York Daily News and the Buffalo News and the the record of Hackensack, uh, the, the Bergen record. And we were trying to come up with a, a, a regional news sharing collaborative. And we got a little bit of it done, but it was exactly what you say. The problem is everybody has different deadlines. That's part of it. And if you're going to remove something from a story, shorten a story, then you might be doing harm to the journalistic work that's being done there. Oh, uh, Lord, yes. Yeah, I can so, remember those issues as well. Yeah. So you, it almost works, but it doesn't. And yet sometimes it is that kind of collaboration is what can really power forward your effort. Years ago, when I was a young reporter on Long Island for Newsday, I hosted the most boring half hour on television, actually. I, I guarantee <laughs> there was not a worse television show than, what do we call it, uh, Newsday Life or something like that. It was twice a week for a half hour. The slogan was, helps you get your lifestyle in gear. We should try to track that one down. Yeah. <laughs> get you, what does that mean, get your lifestyle in gear? But uh, we didn't have a budget for video. I would go twice a week to the studios of Cablevision on Long Island then and sit there and interview uh, Newsday feature writers about what they were writing the features about. It sounds, it could be fascinating. Well, if, yeah, but television is a visual medium. So the worst part of it was when I had to fill 12 minutes, which is, you know, an eternity in electronic if media. it's not going well, especially. Oh, my God. Was there a fern involved? 12 minutes. Get that, folks? 12 minutes on lawn furniture. You know, you got, you got your PVC pipe, you got your redwood, you got your steel, and I had no visuals. We're just sitting here talking about lawn furniture for 12 minutes, and I'm thinking, I, I really shouldn't be doing this. I used to be a journalist. And yet, uh, we were trying, as a print product, to reach out to television viewers on the Cablevision system. And this is going to take off and be a local news channel. This predates News 12 and all the local cable, but that fell apart because of who was going to be in charge. You know, Newsday wanted to say, these are our decisions, and Cablevision said, well, they're not on our channel. It's not. So it is interesting that it becomes a matter of journalistic integrity or journalistic standards and who gets to make those decisions that stops it. Well, I've been a part here at WAMC of a number of collaborations like the one you're describing that 
did absolutely nothing and fell flat on their face. Uh, the one we're talking about with the public radio stations has been a moderate success so far, and I think we can build on it. But you're absolutely right. One of the key questions for any state like ours where the public radio stations realizing that listeners don't ultimately care if that story was by NPR or WAMC or right. WXXI, was it good is the more important question. As they're working together across states and setting up networks and newsrooms across the state, they kind of need a benevolent dictator to run the thing and to get everybody on the same page. And I think as we go forward, you know, that's probably the next step for this little experiment that we've been working on um, in the spirit of cooperation for the last couple of years. There are a lot of places that are looking for outlets, looking for a way to uh, be a part of it. I'm advising this statewide not-for-profit called New York Focus, which is a very ambitious young newsroom that is trying to get its state government-focused accountability reporting out to the masses. And they've had a couple of stories published in the Times Union. They are offering it to other news organizations around the state. But, you know, that would be an option. You know, those kinds of things. Th those people are looking for a way other than their own website, uh, because if you're just alone on the web, it's hard to get your stuff out there. So existing news organizations that are hungry for good content could find that useful, but you have to make it clear that if you're the editor of the Daily Gazette, you get to decide what goes into those pages of the Daily Gazette. You know, it's just the opposite of what we used to do. We, we used to want to own the content entirely on our own website. That's one of the reasons we didn't want to collaborate, because our story would be elsewhere, would be on a Rochester paper or a Buffalo paper, and we wanted all those page views for ourselves on our own website. But now you're seeing the opposite. You're seeing people want that kind content on as many platforms as possible, probably because they want to get the eyeballs and it doesn't matter where they're coming from. And it can be a, a two-edged sword. I mean, it's important to remember for practitioners, if you run it, you are now putting your stamp of approval on the story. So if you got this nice package from another outlet and it, it filled a hole for your station and you thought it was good and there's a problem in the reporting, you can't just say, well, we only ran it. Uh, we didn't make it. You right. know, if you're willing to platform it, then you've got to be able to stand by it. And I think that is... That's a rabbit hole um, when you start talking about expanding out these networks. You have to have confidence in the uh, capacity and the integrity of whoever is originating it. Uh, you have to say, that, what are the reporting standards here and presentation standards as well? And that's a hard thing to assure. But if you, if you, once you have that uh, confidence, then you can actually get a lot more content that's useful for you. You know, it's hard to decide when something is outside your sphere of comfort, let's say, like UFOs. You know, here's, here's a great question. News Nation has been airing this stuff about the UFO whistleblower, the guy who, the former intelligence officer who claims that the government is in possession of a lot of information about extraterrestrial life and vehicles that come from a different dimension, seemingly. The guy has a background in physics, and so I can't quite explain to you what he's saying, but his conclusions were definitely not alone. And it sounds like crazy stuff. And so if that comes to you from a news source, you have to have confidence in your capacity to make judgments about whether you're going to use it or else confidence in the capacity of those news producers and editors who aired it in the first place. <laughs> right, right. What they did was they checked his credentials. He is who he says he is. They went that far and they, they determined that he did file a whistleblower report trying to tell people that this is actually happening. And then the inspector general is doing an investigation into it. 
but he didn't actually produce any real pieces of paper or physical evidence that they could run with. And in this case, they had to size up whether they thought this person was credible or not. They did so in a haphazard way. They said, well, this is what he says. And yeah. it, it reminds me a little bit about any kind of political speech in which, well, I'm just saying that yeah. people are saying. Yeah. Well, people are saying, <laughs> I was told uh-huh. that. And that's not something that uh, credible news organizations typically run with. What do you do, though, that, and that's appropriate in the context of a big political issue right now. You know, Senator Grassley of Iowa and Congressman Jim Comer of Kentucky are uh, putting out these questions about Joe Biden supposedly taking a $5 million bribe. And they're they're citing a, a document that the FBI holds that is an unsubstantiated allegation that the FBI concluded was not credible enough to investigate, but they are demanding that this unsubstantiated document be released to the American public. And when you have the right-wing talk organization known as Fox News and others supporting that, what you do is you get a lot of information out there that is defamatory of the president of the United States that may not be credible. But if you don't cover it, you you seem to be covering up for the president. And Chuck Grassley, the senior member of the U.S. Senate, Jim Comer, is it, uh, is the chair of the Oversight Committee in the House. These are powerful figures in Washington politics. So how do you decide as a journalist that you're just going to ignore what they say? It's really the, that question of something being, quote unquote, out there. Like Judy says, I remember the Steele dossier when Trump was running for exactly. president, which parts have been reported as fact. But the, the whole thing has not stood up to any sort of scrutiny in the long run over the many years since it's been published. Uh, you're absolutely right. Places took a pass on on running that. Um, yep. It did find its way to the Internet and then it was out there and then it was part of the narrative. I don't know what you do in a situation like this. Um, as you say, if um, a senator, a U.S. senator, one of 100, is making news about a certain item, it, it's going to be covered whether it's true or not. I think, you know, it, it's fair to say President Trump understood that extremely well. You know, I, uh, I'm questioning the birth certificate. Why won't he show it? Right. Uh, I mean, we've, we've sort of seen this movie before. Right. Over and over again. Yeah. And we have, as journalists, we haven't. We've gotten a little better, I think, at at figuring out how to deal with it, but not totally, because uh, the birth certificate's a great example. Uh, This became a big topic of conversation, remains such today. If you, Pew still surveys for this, I think, is Barack Obama, was he born in America? And a huge percentage of people, especially Republicans, who get their, predominantly get their information from Fox News, Oh, boy. Believes that he was not, and therefore he would not have been a legitimate president. And and so deciding uh, to take a pass on something on a matter of principle can only get you so far in an era when anything gets out there and for politicians, anything goes. This reminds me a little bit of the, of the Benghazi hearings. Remember the hours and hours and hours of those hearings that got covered, and, and that has stuck in people's minds as well as the Clinton emails. I mean, when I heard the news about the $5 million or the FBI a letter or a report about Biden, I was listening, I admit, to Newsmax, and then, my God, they present it as, as like real. And, yeah. and and they there's no indication that this might not be true or this might not be verified. So I think part of it is in the presentation. Presentation. I think if you do have this, 
you need to present it in a way that this is this is where this is. These these things are not verified. We used to deal with this a lot with lawsuits. People can file a lawsuit almost about anything, and the question is, do you do you report on the lawsuit if you do not believe something is credible? And and usually you do because it's court and you can report on it. But there have been times when you think, oh, this lawsuit is just frivolous and th- person is just trying to get attention. Yeah, we would. We I remember very difficult decisions about malpractice lawsuits. As a matter of fact, uh, because those are very thorny because they get into questions of healthcare that are, in some cases, initially confidential, but also dealing with a level of expertise that we as journalists can't assess. Certainly not on deadline. And so our decision was generally not to report about these vast number of uh, malpractice lawsuits that are filed until there comes a point where it is going actually going to trial because most uh, cases get settled before trial. And I'm not sure that we always made the right decision. Uh, it seems to me that there are a lot of cases that have been settled out of court that people probably should have known about, but we just didn't know how to assess the credibility of what was out there and felt that it was irresponsible to just throw it out there and say, well, you decide, folks, uh, whether this is valid or not. This goes to another uh, current problem in our industry, which is covering crime at the moment of the reporting of that crime versus following through the trial, if there is one, uh, the plea deal, if there is one, if you, you know, if you cover a high profile arrest uh, and you're not going to revisit it um, six, eight, 12 months from now, are you doing a disservice to the people involved and, and also your audience? Yeah, I made a bad decision on that early in my uh, editorship. I guess maybe it was still when I was still the managing editor of the Times Union. We started running police blotters from communities all over the region, little tiny type. My theory was that if you had a huge bulk of local content, it would really be great for readers. And we even designed the page to look really hard to read almost so that it would be really intense, hyper-local news. But uh, it became clear that we had a lot of arrest material and we weren't going to follow up. Many of these were misdemeanor arrests or they would be pleaded down to it. And these, so if we, if we identified the suspects, that would be, well, it would be defamatory if we didn't follow up then. It would just simply be unfair. And we pretty quickly decided, let's not do this. Uh, but that was actually also an effort at sharing there we there was an independent company that was gathering these uh, police blotters and uh, well you remember Judy right you were and then part they were this. selling them too right and the issue was there was no follow-up and it was yeah. easy to report there it was easy to get content if, um, people it, people were fairly interested in it mm-hmm. um, but what we're seeing across the nation especially I, I'm seeing in from newspaper local newspapers in New York they're getting away from that and they're also getting away from um, posting mugshots up because we used to use mugshots with all of these yeah. as well and people would love to look at them and make fun of them I, I listened to a, uh, I went to a seminar once where someone said, you know, we've got to get away from writing these like stupid criminal stories because, you know, someone may steal uh, bubble gum or something and, and you write it up because it's kind of funny. Someone get arrested for stealing bubble gum. But you have to understand that that arrest is going to follow that person forever. Yeah. One stupid mistake and it follows them forever. And now newspapers are getting hit with all these unpub- unpublished requests because 
uh, we reported their arrests, and if for something that, like even marijuana possessions, we re- we used to report, and marijuana is legal in New York, and people are asking, hey, can't you take down that arrest report? You didn't even follow up the fact that it got dismissed. Right. Uh, so we don't take it down, but we will uh, sometimes, at least what we did at the Times Union was we stopped the web crawlers from being able to, uh, we de, what's the term? We de-indexed it. De-index it. There's the word. Uh, so that people can't see it. I remember the, the request that came through from a Long Island high school principal who in his youth uh, had been a deadhead and uh, in this on the streets of Albany. I think once a deadhead always a deadhead. <laughs> well I guess that's true you know he was uh, charged with uh, selling uh, you know a couple of joints or something on the street outside a dead concert and he was just a name in a list of people published in the Times Union in 1980 something and he contacted us to say look I'm I'm now a, a, a certified principal of a school, and <laughs> the, the students are still seeing this. So uh, we said, no, we can't take it down, but we will de-index it so that just a general search under his name would not yield this result. So do you think Donald Trump is going to ask us at some point in the near future to de-index his arrest reports? <laughs> no. Well, there was no mugshot, Judy. <laughs> it's true. They don't do that. And they don't release him in federal court. That's one of my uh, issues with federal court. Yeah. But, you know, do you think uh, the, the media overplayed that one? Well, there was Fox News, which had a chyron that said, uh, labeled Biden a wannabe dictator in this little banner across the bottom of the screen who ordered his political rival arrested. Yes, that's overplaying. What that is, is actually not news. That is Fox. And Fox, in <laughs> uh, a very rare instance, uh, took it down and apologized after running it on no, TV. No, took it down. I don't think they apologized, did they? They said the matter was dealt with. Yeah. It was dealt it with. Was something <laughs> along those lines. Right. Right. So the White House feels pretty unhappy about that. Uh, and I loved the comment by the White House press secretary, uh, Karen Jean-Pierre, who said, uh, there are probably about 787 million things I can say about that. You know, oh. $707.5 million is what Fox had to pay to Dominion voting systems. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, that's a good question. Is it wrong to show the video of the cavalcade? Uh, like, Reminded me of the white Bronco and the OJ exactly. trial, uh, chase. The slow speed chase. <laughs> I don't know how you ignore it, really. Yeah. Um, and I think we talked about this on the last show. There's a distinction maybe between taking the speech after the court appearance um and if you give that an unfettered hour on the air then you're going to be airing a lot of things that are not true we know this at this point in terms of what we did on this station you know special coverage while the court uh hearing was going on there was a a reporter in the court without a cell phone so they had to run out and report on what they heard and and saw in the courtroom uh, it was kind of old-fashioned, to be honest. You know, it reminded me of uh, Supreme Court decisions of 10 years ago where the first one to run out and get on the phone had the scoop. Right. And that was uh, an old-fashioned bit of reporting that you have to do now because federal courts uh, still exclude themselves from the 21st century. You can't put a camera in a federal courtroom. can't have any electronic devices, actually, in most federal courtrooms still. You have to hand over your cell phone before you walk into the courtroom, which is... Uh, unfortunate, I think, in terms of, I mean, in our sense that that visibility actually helps with credibility, that if people can see something, they can make judgments about it. And the uh, federal courts still want to keep themselves sort of oh, above all of that, you know. Uh, right. <laughs> they they oh, really God. resisted that. And they really, we really need to rethink this. And mm-hmm. they, they are not above us all. Um, I think report, they can't even take a computer. I know it. 
I know phones can take photographs, and maybe that's the issue, or phones can record and they're not trusting the reporters, but it, it, it seems unreasonable at, at, this, at this time in our life. We need our federal courts to be transparent, and they're really not. Mm-hmm. And the, so all we had to rely on were courtroom sketches, and did you see there were two d- ver- versions, one in which Donald Trump looked like much younger and much uh, svelte, and one in which he looked kind of old and um, unhappy. Uh, the, the other issue I, I saw was the front page of the New York Times the next day where we have Donald Trump majestically walking d- down from his, his airplane with a, a huge American flag in the background. It just seemed like it was overplaying him as a martyr as a, as hmm. a, and a patriot. Uh, uh, the New York Times being too kind to yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. Believe it or not, <laughs> it much criticism along that line. I was just going to say, I I think the times we've learned the most about Trump uh, have been when he is on video candidly. When you think about the footage that the January 6th committee released of him trying to tape his message uh, that day, his depositions, uh, video of which has surfaced over the years, those are the times when you see the real or whatever the real thing is with with former President Trump, as opposed to when he goes on TV full makeup and, and trying to spin the story. Right. Yeah, but there was good decision making, I think, in terms of the Trump indictment to not air his uh, his remarks later in the evening, you know, after his indictment, except Fox News and Newsmax, of course, put it on live. They're all trying to get those same right wing voters. Uh, the interest doesn't seem to be there. In the 8 o'clock hour when they aired it, uh, they were only about a million viewers above what they usually have, those two combined, and that's not a lot. Uh, whereas the other uh, channels, MSNBC, which, by the way, has just passed Fox as number one on cable, interestingly, um, and much higher in terms of the what the demographic, the core that people are looking for, what is that, 20, 34 to 59 or whatever the number is. 54, perhaps. Anyway, th- those uh, uh, did as well. And so uh, it, it, what it kind of shows is that the appetite for live Trump may not be as high as it once was, uh, that the heavily promoted address didn't really propel the viewership that those channels might have had at another time. And there's a lot of uh, reading of tea leaves happening, as usual, this time in a cycle, which is the the Fox primary that we've talked about for so many years, trying to discern where these cable behemoths are going to put their chips in this race. Um, and there's obviously been a lot of reporting that the Murdochs would love to move on from Donald Trump as the Republican standard bearer. So how those decisions, those coverage decisions get made. You know, it is a little reminiscent of uh, Tom Wamsgans on Succession. <laughs> Just a little. Oh, boy. Okay, folks, that is all we have time for. If you have views, media at wamc.org is how you share your thoughts, and we'd welcome those. Judy Patrick is here, Ian Pickus, and I'm Rex Smith, with gratitude to our producer, David Gustina, and to you folks for joining us once again this week on The Media Project. Ling-ling-ling, newspaper guild, got a free new world to build, meet the people, that's a thrill, all together fits the bill, oh, newspaper men are such interesting people, it's wonderful to represent the... The Media Project is a national production of WAMC, Northeast Public Radio. This week's projectors include former Times Union editor and current Substack columnist of the Upstate American, Rex Smith, Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association, and WAMC News Director, Ian Pickus. 
You can listen to The Media Project anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm your producer, David Gustina. Thanks for listening. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press.